Hello and welcome to Sticky from the Inside, the employee engagement podcast that looks at how to build stickier, competition-smashing, consistently successful organisations from the inside out. I'm your host, Andy Gorham, and I'm on a mission to help more businesses turn the lights on behind the eyes of their employees, light the fires within them, and create tons more success for everyone. This podcast is for all those who believe that's something worth going after and would like a little help and guidance in achieving that. Each episode, we dive into the topics that can help create what I call stickier businesses, the sort of businesses where people thrive and love to work and where more customers stay with you and recommend you to others because they love what you do and why you do it. So if you want to take the tricky out of being sticky, listen on. Okay, I'm genuinely thrilled to have you join me today as we dive into what I really do think is going to be an inspiring story of resilience and triumph in the face of adversity. Today, I've got the privilege of sitting down with an old friend and colleague of mine from 20 or so years ago, who to me is the epitome of resilience and determination. And I'm not saying that they've had it worse than anybody else, but from my perspective, they've conquered challenges turn setbacks into stepping stones and probably emerge stronger than ever each time. I also think it's fair to say that my guest today probably wouldn't have picked this topic to talk about or volunteer to talk about himself like I'm going to ask him to. But but I think his is a story worth hearing and hopefully one that can help inspire or motivate anyone out there dealing with similar things, especially not to give up. So with me today is Mike White. Now, Mike's the CEO of Lively, a creative innovation agency that's taken the industry by storm. Now, for me, the most interesting thing about Mike's story is not just his current successes or the amazing companies he now works with, all the things he gets to do, which I'm sure he'll tell us all about. It's the journey that's led him here. To me, Mike's path has been paved with both personal and business challenges that would have, I think, made many others falter and maybe even give up, but he chose not to give up. He has shown what I think is real determination and an unyielding belief in the power of self and resilience, and he is not afraid of taking gutsy decisions when opportunity does arise. So in what I know will be an honest episode, I want to try and understand and unravel that resilience that has shaped Mike's career. We'll learn how he transformed personal adversities into invaluable life lessons and redefined his leadership approach along the way. So whether you're a seasoned executive or an inspiring entrepreneur, I hope Mike's story will leave you feeling invigorated and equipped to embrace your own journey with real confidence. So be ready to be uplifted, inspired and motivated as we uncover the secrets to bouncing back stronger, wiser and more successful with my good friend, Mike White. So buckle up and join us as we embark on what I expect to be an honest, engaging, and enlightening conversation. Welcome to the show, Mike. Hey, thank you for having me. What an introduction, gosh. Brilliant to have you here, my friend. A long, long way from our, let's say, greyer days in Perry Bar, Birmingham. You know, I'm sat, actually, I've still got the grey theme going on. I'm I'm in Northampton. You, LA, very different. (laughs) <laughs> heavy days of, of allied domestic let's call them that 
yes, <laughs> headache days of Allied Demic is probably more applicable. <laughs> anyway, um, Mike, great to have you here today. I know you probably feel a touch uncomfortable uh, talking about or, or, or tackling some of this stuff today because as we'll find from the stories, I think you just sort of take this stuff in, in your stride. But I think the story is well worth listening to. But before we get into all that lovely stuff, do us a favour, mate. Just give us a little bit of your background and what you're up to today What and what's taking your focus right now. Okay. Uh, well, like you introduced me, I'm the CEO and co-founder of Lively Worldwide. Uh, we call ourselves a creative innovation agency because we believe marketing is going through a massive change. The way uh, brands are being uh, are in demand to change the way that they engage with their audiences. And so we believe that is a mix of live and authentic engagement, brand experience, but also an important level of understanding how technology plays a role in that. So we set the business up uh, six years ago. Um, ironically, because of our proposition, our, our best years were during the pandemic, which I don't think any other brand experience <laughs> company can possibly say. Um, and yes, and, and it's brought me to, to sunny LA, which I'll, I'll kind of put into perspective later on. How I got here? Um, well, obviously, I, I, I'd say my career really kicked off when I joined Allied Demet, which is when I met you. Mm. Um, and, you know, that got me into an industry that embraced my creativity and my unusual approach to working out solutions, let's say. Before that, um, it, it was, uh, well, through the whole course, like you said, it's like, you know, you, you don't set up your own business for an easy life. <laughs> no, and, that's fair um, to say. And, and we'll talk about that later. But but it, it was tough starting because it started at school. And, you know, it, school in the, you know, the 80s and 90s was, well, probably still isn't designed to cater for the dyslexic, creative people that I now know I am. So, you know, it was tough at school. I, I came out of it as quickly as possible. Uh, and then I went on a, let's say, um, an exciting journey of experimentation. <laughs> well, I mean, that, that's an interesting topic right there. <laughs> <laughs> trying to find, trying to find out because school wouldn't help me find out there what i what i was made for what i was what i what was i put on this world to do um you know it's a ridiculous story that i did one of those uh uh career tests i think when you're 16 or 17 and it told me that i should either be an airline pilot or a hairdresser um given i'm now bold that <laughs> hairdressing one wouldn't have probably worked although i'm sure there are bald hairdressers out there um and given i'm blind as a bat uh i don't think the airline pilot would have worked that as well so but yeah, the, the the kind of the career challenges started at an early age, let's say. But you know, they you know to quote a very obvious phrase, "What doesn't break you makes you stronger." And I'm, I'm pleased to say that you know, I'm I'm very happy with where I've ended up and where I'm going. I think that's a fascinating piece, just to take a a bit of a pause because that school setup that you and I went through. I mean, my, I think mine was called Jig Cal or something ridiculous as the, the, uh, the, the career finder. I think I was supposed to be a, a barrister, uh, which not a chance. I mean, I'm just not clever enough. A barrister uh, or a barista? <laughs> yeah, well, that, do you know what? 
I mean, maybe there's a bit of dyslexia with me as well, right? So maybe it could have been <laughs> one of those things. It's crazy. Um, but school, I don't think, was set up for that sort of stuff. I'm amazed, no. and I guess I shouldn't be, at the number of people I end up speaking to now who are of our age who have only recently kind of really been properly diagnosed as having some form of dyslexia, dyscalculia, ADHD, because in, in our day, those things weren't really talked about very widely. It was no. you were a smart kid or you you were a thick kid. Yeah, and also, you know, you kind of, the the classes were so big and the setup was so big that they couldn't recognize you as an individual either. That, that was my biggest shout. And look, I just, there's a, you know, there's a couple of teachers out there that I can't just flag off my whole kind of school life. You know, there were some teachers there that really tried help me and you know, thought they recognized my talent but they were still trying to push that through a traditional format and i think that's something just to say about my career is i've never fitted into a traditional format of a career <laughs> <laughs> ever <laughs> well no i remember that i mean uh, uh, for those who don't know Alan Demek was a, a, a huge sprawling international company about uh drink or well, spirits wines and leisure really pubs restaurants retail, yeah. retail all that kind of good stuff and um you know we worked in what well, to us would have been quite a big marketing department but in the scheme of it pretty, pretty small in the in, in in the big function of it and to say that you you didn't really fit in i mean you were six six i mean you don't fit into many <laughs> many things but, <laughs> but i think that's an interesting place to have a look so when i first met you you were a, a YPV promotions manager or a marketing yes. manager, one of those things, right? Young person's marketing manager. Yeah. What a great title, eh? <laughs> You're young. Market to yourself was pretty it's much the brief. <laughs> That's why I could do the job, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Even getting there was, it was interesting, though, because okay, yeah, to get a marketing job in those days, you needed a degree, and, and I didn't have one. And I think that was one of the, you know, I'm going to say the word luck, which I know you're always going to challenge me on. But, you know, that's why people have played such a critical role in my life. And I think leads to, you know, this whole idea of resilience. If you've got people around you, they can really help that with resilience. And I was, you know, I was lucky. Yeah, because I, I basically ended up, things just got so ridiculous from a career point of view. I, I took a job tele, yeah, doing tele-sales in Carlsberg. And it was a lady there that said, you'd be much more suited to marketing. And she helped me get into that marketing role at Allied. I think when someone sees you as an individual and not just sees you, but extends an arm of help or pushes you in the right direction or makes a connection, sometimes those seemingly insignificant little moments are the things that really propel people on oh, 100% I could literally I think I've got let's call them stepping stones rather than mentors but mm. I've got about seven stepping stones that I can now reflect on that goes thanks to that person like you just hit it in the head recognizing me as an individual and for the skills I've got helped me on that way and supported me and collaborated with me it gives you that kind of energy boost to take the confidence to take a new step a fresh step 100 uh, yeah which otherwise you might not have done until somebody 
show some belief that you're something else or recognizes yeah. something in you that might allow you to do something else. But also, just on that though, that for all those people that are, you know, in telesales jobs and stuff like that, mm. I, I, the, the one, one of the many things that gives me my confidence now is I know that I've got a multi, a multifaceted skill base. Like the amount of times, even now when I'm writing strategy for the likes of Ericsson and people like that, I'm still referencing something that happened to me in that telesales office or something that happened to me with you in the marketing team, Allied Demet. It's, yeah. it's having that diversity of skill that allowed me to get to where I am. Listen, I, I ran a, I guess, a color-based self-awareness uh, program with a bunch of guys who were working in a, a support center for a big care home company the other day. I tell you what, what a fabulous bunch of people they were. They could teach, oh, yeah. they could teach a lot of customer experience leaders what the essence of customer service is. I'm certainly not denigrating anybody that works in a call center. I'm just sort of saying at an early stage, and that being your job, it sounds like with the background you had and without somebody picking you up, you could have stayed there. Mm. Yeah, giving you that motivation, 100%. Yeah, yeah. So. So let's just talk about this because I've set you up as somebody I consider to be very successful doing doing great things right now. This whole topic is about resilience. And I've said, listen, there's been a lot of stumbling, um, not always through your fault right, or things that you've done. You've been put in situations or you found yourself in situations. So mm. do me a favor, buddy, if you're comfortable, just talk us through a bit of that timeline. Okay, yeah. I, I, I just, I, I'm going to start with a quote from a, a guy I've got a lot of respect for called Mike Matheson, who um, I don't know if you ever met him, but you'll you'll know his agency cake. Was he Beatwax? It started, it started as FFI Beatwax, and we we brought him in. We brought those guys in to help us with, with student and and young people's campaign. But yeah, he he's now a consultant, and because uh, he successfully sold his business, and yeah, he's working with about five businesses right now. And I remember talking to him and he, he was very honest. He said, look, my consultancy is built around telling people about my mistakes because if you listen to my mistakes and understand how I got out of them, you can probably do things a lot faster than I did. And I think that's such a good thing because it was like, for me, school kind of really put me down. But I, I, don't, I don't know whether it was a natural thing, but the thing that got me through that was, I can remember having this, conversation with my dad who was probably had you know mild panic attacks every week when he saw how my education was going and i just used to say to him i was like dad I, i'm looking around me and i see that i come from a you know a healthy successful family so and i kept i used to say to him it's like i know i'm intelligent what i now know i i just it wasn't the academics i could do but i was an intelligent person so that like self-awareness at an early age made me kind of one be determined to prove people wrong but that kind of gave me my drive because yeah i i, I got to the point where i hated school mm. um which is horrible because yeah it's all supposed to be the best time of your life then coming out of that you know i started working behind bars waiting and, and things like that and you know all my other friends had were getting their degrees and we're talking about careers and i, I was the barman working at the weekend 
for me, it, it, I kind of, you know, I, I got a little bit carried away with myself. You know, I started, you know, it was in the 90s. The race team was really strong. Um, and, you know, I saw an opportunity to start building parties. So I actually, I don't know whether it was the first, but I decided I was going to produce the one of the first legal raves. Nice. Um, and it was great fun. Like, don't get, I did it on my 21st birthday. And unlike everybody else, I got a lawyer involved. I had contracts made with the venue. I was, you know, kind of engaged with the, I really tried to do it like the absolute right way. Mm. But silly me, you know, young, uh, egotistical guy from Dorset thought he could go up to North London and, uh, and work with a guy called Levi's. And, um, and sure enough, you know, when I presented him with the contact, he saw it in half and, uh, and ended up at two o'clock in the morning taking all my money off me. <laughs> what, what, what a lovely bloke. I, I very quickly learned. Um, but you know, there's, there are two sides to the world of entertainment and I was very much suited to the, to the sensible one. Um, which is actually, I think it was six months after that. My dad said, for Christ's sake, go and get a job. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, this, this creativity of yours is starting a little bit too early, but like, like, yeah, I just kind of like brushed over that. The, what I what I realised was though I was twenty one and I managed to get I don't know thousands of people in a warehouse design an incredible party and it did make money I just kind of didn't go into my pocket it just, at the end. it just got so, robbed off you yeah yeah so um, but that you know a lot of people would have kind of turned away from that that you have no idea like the strength that gave me for some of my future jobs. Hmm. You know, when yeah, I, I thought a career now of events, you know, I think my my dad my dad literally was like, I can't believe you've made a career out of throwing parties. You know, it's ridiculous. You know, you don't need a degree for that. So that happened. I then and for me that if you think about it, I was trying to attempt to be self-employed and then I had to like take a massive step back and go and get a nine to fiver. Uh, but, you know, I I think my point is, is it's kind of just always looking forward. It's like, okay, I've taken a bit of a setback. I've got to restart the building blocks, but I've still got a passion here. And then it that's was easy, that, to, Mike. But, sorry, mate. That's easy to say, isn't it? That's such an easy thing. Just always look forward. Just always look forward. Yeah. yeah. Is it is it that easy for you, or is is there something? Oh, else no. I, I, I I cry on a daily basis. <laughs> Throughout life, I don't think anybody, even the happiest people, even Richard Branson can't say there aren't ridiculously dark times. I think the important bit is, and, and again, I've got this, it, it, it's so much of it, this is about people. So, you know, just a massive setback, starting to think, right, I need a career. What's it going to be? That, you know, again, punch in the face. You haven't got a degree. How are you going to get a, a, a career in something that is going to suit your creative talents? I luckily then got into London. You know that there were a few interesting political challenges within that. You know, I was challenged about why, you know, within our own team, why was I there when I didn't have a degree? And why was I being paid more than anybody else? <laughs> I um, remember that conversation. Yeah. <laughs> it, and, but again, that, that, like you saw the reaction. Um, and, and the reaction was about self-belief. Unfortunately, some of that self-belief was a defense mechanism. 
that did actually, you know, I've had some coaching and a lot of stuff over the way because there is a bit of an anger that comes out when I'm when I'm challenged like that. That was my original defense mechanism. Now, like I've kind of learned to channel that a lot more. And like I said earlier, it's like all my if you want to call them mistakes, we can call them mistakes, but but actually they're just amazing life lessons. Um and and so got into that career. That really was fun. Um and we were a great bunch of people and we were doing some really great stuff, you know. And we had people around us that would allow us to do that creativity. You know, we did some pretty crazy and innovating stuff back in the day. Um, and then, you know, and then I got the opportunity to set up my own business. That was a successful, in inverted commas, business for 14 years as, as a self-starter agency. I was actually set up by Virgin to have my own independent agency. But again, that that came to a, an end. and. For me, that, that was a very dark place, you know, to, to have built up a very good agency, award-winning agency with a fantastic group of people with fantastic West End offices doing music festivals. You know, to then have that rug pulled away from you is a shock to the system. And especially the older you get as well. And then when you get married and when you have kids, like that pressure just piles on and piles on. But to your point, yeah. That delivers dark stages in your life, but I don't know whether it's an automatic pilot or a or something that I've just learned to improve on uh, over time. But for me, there's only one way to look, and that's look forward. And and you know, and I I get annoyed. Like pan- during the pandemic, the word pivot became like this dirty bingo word. But I've sworn by pivot all my life because it's such a great analogy. You know, you, it, it's a basketball move. You know, you're, you're in a position with the ball. Everybody's running at you and they're going to take it off you. So you take a step back, you look around you, you know, you still know what you've got to achieve. You've just got to go in a different direction. And, and it's just those little bits of snippets of advice that if you remember them and hold them true, they allow you to get out of those dark places quicker. The experience of going through something like that and coming through the other side must build something, uh, another layer of of belief or confidence that, okay, I've been through some tough times. It hurts. I've come through it, right? Yeah, 100%. You know, I, I do events and and because I've always run a pretty agile small business, I often get questioned, can you handle this event? And I'm like, you know, I used to do, yeah, the headline sponsorship of the festival across two sites simultaneously that included two dance clubs for two and a half thousand people, backstage hospitality for thousands of people and all the branding and all the negotiation. And then one year, I did the Commonwealth Games at the same time. It's like, you know, if you can achieve that sort of stuff, (laughs) Like nobody can tell me that I can't do something. <laughs> yeah. It gives you that kind of confidence and determination, and 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 you know adrenaline as well. I, I think this is hilarious. I think this is hilarious because I've got you on here to talk about resilience and give us the tips to dealing with trauma and coming through it and and bouncing back. And I'm fast getting to the conclusion that this conversation is going to be about how to maintain drive and focus as your kind of 
resilience superpower because it does make me giggle when you talk about stuff because you got oh yeah i set up an agency it was successful for 14 years it was backed by virgin and the next story is well hang on fella let's just <laughs> let's just step back you don't just walk down the street and branson gives you some money to go and set up an agency there's stuff behind that you don't just get into entertainment in in allied because oh there's a job oh we'll just give it to mike i mean you fashioned and created that job because it was something that you, you wanted to do to me there's this definite drive that must lie behind your resilience it's either belligerence or it is a, an extreme <laughs> belief in that you can do stuff and there's a bit of all of it to be honest with you um but yeah i sometimes i i, I wonder whether i'm yeah i beat myself up too much for sure yeah. it's a hard thing like i, I like this word resilient you know because you know resilient it means a lot of things and we've already covered a couple a couple of them you know self-awareness is a biggie and you know yeah just a little sidetrack you know i much prefer self-awareness than emotional intelligence anybody uses the word emotional intelligence run because <laughs> they haven't got any self-awareness um i know that for a fact i think that's the thing i think because of the school thing i had no choice i remember actually actually yeah kind of diving into this i remember when my dad passed away actually i'd ended up getting myself into a really cool very creative agency in london i couldn't believe i got the job actually because you know i uh, i was a suit wearing you know marketeer from birmingham um where i spent three years and i was trying to get a job in a fashion agency in the <laughs> west end and you know somebody pointed out that i'd been wearing the same suit because i only had one um, the, the brown <laughs> three-piece suit yep <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, you know, the guy said, look, if you want to get a job in a fashion agency, I'd be done for three pieces. <laughs> so for me, I think that's the thing is it's like this understanding of self-awareness and having to find out what your skill sets are. You know, that, that was my bit because I, I didn't, you know, and I'm, I'm not trying to alienate people with degrees, but, you know, it, it used to be kind of, you know, I've got this degree. This is proven that I have done three years and I know stuff and blah, blah, blah. If you don't have that, you've just been a guy behind a bar trying to get a qualified job. So the self-awareness, I think, was ingrained into me in an early age. I've got to sell myself. Got to sell myself. And and so it's finding those unique skills that will fit into the relevant type of creative work that I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, to your point about, yeah, I'm making it all sound so easy and so rosy, but geez, yeah, like. A lot of dark times. Probably, you know, if you spoke to my wife, she'd probably say there's more dark times than happy times. I would want to dig into that a touch, if you don't mind, because you talk about that agency you had for 14 years, and then it wasn't there. Mm. Now, over 14 years, you, you must build up pride, passion, uh, belief. You've got all those people working for you. You've got, you know, there's so much stuff involved in the business that's been going for that long that's yours. And then for it to go, to disappear, that's huge. Now, that must have been one of the toughest times to come back from. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it, it's it's you know my 
one of my weaknesses is definitely my emotions. Um, you know, I, I think I I love everything I do. Well, most things I do. And and I really like that's the biggest challenge when you're setting up a business is you become they they, they talk about it actually. The, the, it, it's funny, isn't it? We all think we're unique and individual and doing things differently and breaking the mold. And then you go and read a bloody book and they tell you that it's just the process that everybody's going through. <laughs> when when you start a business, there's this kind of kickoff stage where just everybody's in it together. Four or five people, nobody's got titles, everybody's rolling up their sleeves, they're all driving for just success. And it's adrenaline, it's exciting, it's you know, camaraderie, it's work. Yeah, you don't even care how many hours you're working. Then the work comes in, and then you've got to start. So you're a group of friends, basically. But then the work starts coming in, and you get to 15, 20 people. Suddenly it's a family, you know, the founders are the parents, the you know, the clients of the uncles or whatever and the you know, I'm not patronizing staff, but they are your kids. You know, yeah. you're 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 bringing them in, that you're giving them a career, you're giving them a job. And then then you go from over 30, 25, 30 people, you have this horrible departmentalization. And suddenly the politics, the emotions and all of that kick in. So yeah, like that 14 years was Having never done that before, and I didn't read that book until after it all happened. Well, there you go. <laughs> and 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 you don't know how to manage those scenarios because you do. You just want to be everybody's friend, and and unfortunately, that's why they say don't mix business with pleasure or you know business with friends or anything like that because there you have to. I, I remember, you know, Rich, Richard Branson did it. You know, he had a guy. Who was one of my main clients? Worked with him for twenty-five years, and you know he got an email at the end of it. And yeah. but but by then Richard was running an empire, and you know it's a horrible thing to say, on it, but that's how businesses get run. So I the that, yeah when I think when you see your company just disappear, you know my business, and, and the reason it yeah there are so many factors. You know uh, our biggest client decided to you know change direction completely my business partner and i had a wonderful wonderful relationship we're still really good friends but he was just like i'm done and we always said the minute one of us was done we just kind of separate mm -hmm. we we didn't want to fight about who owns what and stuff like that so that was really the catalyst was okay my business partner doesn't want to do this anymore and i know god i've become so attached to having a I think that was actually probably losing my business partner was the biggest tip to me than actually losing the business tip, thinking yeah. about it. Because yeah. I was just so emotionally attached to that team, uh, uh, you know, Cam's and me. Um, and then the staff, you know, they, they were brilliant staff that worked for that company. We, God, we did some incredible stuff. And they had to look after themselves. Um, but you take it. And I think that's the thing. You go through that emotional deconstruction, and it was pretty much. It, it, it was absolutely three months. And then, you know, you've got to build yourself back up from that point, which is where the pivoting comes in, the awareness comes in, the self-control comes in. You know, it, it's, uh, it's easy to, you know, go and stare at a bottle of wine for the answer. Yeah, and but that is that is what some people end up doing, Mike. Um, oh, I, 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 so, I, listen, I, what I'd, I'm interested to kind of get to, 
where you if if that's if that's the lowest low potentially how do we get to where we are today because i mentioned in the intro about this resolve but also you know being pretty gutsy to take some decisions when opportunities arise i think that's something that's a marker throughout your career as i've seen it is that when there's an opportunity you are not shy in having a go at it regardless how risky it is you'll have a go and i think that's quite a big factor so in this case after those 14 years after that turmoil of that breakup how do we get to where we are today what what what's happened um a series of steps i yeah i don't want to sound like i was an alcoholic but i i i stopped drinking um i i got on a massive health plan uh you know i started to look i've been doing music festivals for 14 years so my health was not in a good, good yeah. place. <laughs> um, particularly if you think about it, before then, I'd been in the leisure industry drinking with you as well. So mineral water, I went on a massive obviously. mineral water. Yeah, yeah, we sold mineral water. We uh, held the guys. Remember that? Yeah. <laughs> I do remember um, that. Look, I, I got healthy. I, yeah, I took a break. And then I made time for myself. I started reading a lot. For anybody that knows me, I'm not a reader, but mm. I started looking for inspiration mm. and guidance. And I started not leaning on, but I started searching for the right people in my family and in my friends to help me. Um, and my wife played an incredible part in this, you know, that, that self support of look. And, and that's what's really nice. Like you said, is like when you start talking to the right people and they start reminding you about, yeah, you had because I thought I was a failure then. Like yeah. that's all I thought. And failure, I you know, because I set myself up for what I thought success was, but I ran an independent agency for 14 years. Yeah, come on, Mike. I got awards coming out of my backside. I I was recognized in the industry. I was, you know, I'd um just all of these things that that had to be reinstalled back into me. My skills had to be pushed back into me. People had to shake the tree and remind me what I want. Mm. And then I was like, okay, well, what you know, I know you and I did the like a really good analogy that I want to bring up is my you said this, so I'm not taking credit for it, but my pilot light had gone out. Yeah. And I needed to find how to reignite that pilot light. And so I went back to my skills. I was like, right, what do I want to do? What do I want to do for the next 10 years? Because this isn't going to happen overnight. You know, what are my strengths? What am I recognized for? And also, how do I do something differently? Because I've always been a person that, (laughs) the mad probably makes me sound insane, but I used to go into the West End to the same agency year on year for three or four years. And I found myself like getting up, doing this, even to the point I go to the same sandwich shop to grab a coffee and a sandwich, bacon sandwich, because I was unhealthy. And and I was like, I'm in my own little rat race here. This is it. So I used to do things like, I'm not going to go to the same sandwich shop every day. And I think that was this pivoting for if I'm going to set up another agency, I need, I love disrupting stuff, you know. So how do I disrupt it? What what is needed in this industry to take things up? And the minute I got that, I started getting positive responses. That's a really good idea. Yeah. And yeah, so I I started a rebuild from then. And like you said, this yeah, two years into that, 
it's really weird. This whole thing, Harvard did a study that basically said, if you write a five-year plan and you start to put things as a vision and what you want to achieve, like, it's crazy how some stuff actually happens. And, you know, and I did. I just wrote on a piece of paper, like, I want to be global. I don't want a massive office with loads of people in it. I want to be more strategic. I want to do this. I want to do that. And through all of the good stuff that I'd done in the years before and the messaging and the repositioning I was then putting out through my social channels, the phone started to ring. Mm. And I ended up with a US client. And, and I literally remember turning around to my wife going, this is a bit crazy. I wanted to go global, and here I am with a US client. I, I was running an agency for 14 years and never got a US client. And, and it's, it's mad that when you start doing that, how things can happen. You know, positives affect, uh, yeah, affect positive. So It's not um, mad. It's yeah. not mad, Mike. It's not mad. I mean, I think if I look at the stuff <laughs> I do with my, my clients, the pilot light analogy of, you know, when you lose that energy, that spark, you know, it's hard to find anything. It's hard to yeah. go in any direction because you've just lost your drive. But when you sit down with a client and you think about, well, what do you want? What do you want to achieve? Now, whether that is personal stuff or whether that is organizational stuff, and and that that exercise of really thinking about where you're headed and why you're headed in that direction and what it's going to look like is incredibly powerful on both sides. So it's, it doesn't sound crazy to me, fella. It sounds like <laughs> you did all the right things to kind of get back on track and, and, and look where you are now. And, and how are, how does your experiences over the years influence how you uh, curate the culture in lively where you are now? If that's a good question, because it's this the difference between kind of re, yeah resilience and, and leadership, isn't it? it yeah. I, I when I was young, um, I thought leadership was about being friends with everybody. You know, culture was about you know I had a bar in my first thing I built with my new off, first office was a bar and a ping pong table before anybody else did that sort of stuff. I, well. I was inspired by my old agency because that they, the exposure was very, very creative when it came to that. So, yeah, my whole office was built around entertainment, and we were going to music festivals, so we were out, you know, all the time. And it was, and yeah, it was a cool office. It was fun, but that's when it started to like. It's funny when my business partner and I, we literally hand built, not like structurally, but interiorly, interior designed our office. Mm. Yeah, and it was it was cool. And for the first five years, it was. But then we started to call it our prison um, because, you know, it just, it was like, but, you know, what's the point of this building? You know, what is the point of all these people? Am I creating a business just to employ people or am I creating a business to achieve something? It's about, for me, vision, strategy, and understanding, I think, are the key principles. It's really interesting, you know. I, I, I we, we're positioning ourselves more and more around strategy, and and a lot of people are like, oh, how do you how do you start writing a strategy for a global company? But it's it's in my title, it's vision and strategy. It, you just sort of understand what that end goal needs to be and work out how to get there. And so my job as a leader is to constantly, I say, when people say, what do you do? I say, I do vision and strategy for my business and for my clients. And it's that business for it is my job as a CEO to maintain a focus on why we are doing all of this. 
and the culture around that is we will celebrate and have fun, you know, but we will support each other to, to maintain that end goal. And then as long as, you know, going back to the education thing, which is the hardest point of running a business with people is you've also got to remember that every single one of those people is an individual. And that's like hard. <laughs> but you know from your own experience how important that is? 100%. 100%. Yeah. Um, it really is. Um, and that that's kind of, you know, I've, I've been in a lot of debates recently because we, we, we run a totally virtual business. You know, we don't have offices. We all work from home. And I'm like part of the, you know, I'm the chairman of the CEO club for the, for the drum, for a group of CEOs that run agencies across America. And I'm the only one that's still doing, you know, home, home office because everybody is saying, but you can't have a culture about an office. And I'm like, since when's the culture been about brickwork? Like, you know, that, that, that just doesn't gel with me. You know, Elon Musk, Musk demanding everybody back in the office or they'll be fired. Like, you know, especially in our industry, like if I don't get out of that, you know, even like sometimes this room becomes my prison, which is why, you know, I do need to get out sometimes between nine and five and Friday, Monday to Friday, because, you know, otherwise I'll just be cycled and I'll forget what I'm doing. <laughs> well, even, even the architects of modern uh, remote working Zoom just recently said yeah you need to all come back to the office i mean i think there uh, there's a complete hot mess of all this stuff out there at the moment yeah totally. i think there have been there are plenty of businesses that have operated remotely solely remotely for years who work very hard at their culture it's just different yeah. it's just yeah, yeah. You, you just have to take a different approach to it um totally. i think the world of work has definitely changed i think there'll be businesses that slip back and go back to the old normal oh, and i think there'll be others that will find a very very different route yeah but what but, but to be honest that's our company proposition is and we predicted that after the pan during the at the end of the pandemic we said at least 60 percent of industries will go back to normal and will have learned nothing from the pandemic yeah and while everybody from an individual point of view learned a lot from the pandemic you know if there's one positive to have come out of the pandemic it was people started to focus on themselves a lot more and you know realize that their life is now not when they retire at 65 and as an employer you know we are all struggling with that because you know like I, i've got a, a a nephew who got a degree and he he hasn't got a career yet and he's 28 but the lucky bugger is he's working minimum uh, sorry maximum six months a year and then he's going traveling. He went traveling around the whole of Europe for 15 weeks and he spent five, no, two and a half grand. Wow. And the place he was doing these work to live places or whatever it is. And he was staying in nice places. That guy is seeing the world. And, you know, obviously me and my sister, who's mum, are like, oh my God, you know, he hasn't got a career, he hasn't got a job. And I'm like, well, yeah, you know, he's also worked out that if he, you know, if he doesn't get a job until I think it's twenty eight or thirty, he doesn't have to pay off his student loan. Oh well, there's always a method in all of this, Mike. So, this has been for me a a lovely way to almost to catch up with a mate over something that you know. There's things in here I knew, and there's things in here I didn't know. I, I always had this view of you as a proper go getter. 
and somebody who didn't necessarily fit the mold. And I think that's that's definitely something that's kind of come, come through here, which is a really encouraging thing for anybody listening. And I, I, I look fondly on it because I have two kids who have struggled through school, diagnosed with various learning difficulties and are pursuing or trying to pursue careers in the creative world. So they've got somebody now who they can listen to and kind of take inspiration of, which I think is fabulous. Oh, very um, kind of you. <laughs> no, 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 mate, not at all. I have an area in the show I call Sticky Notes, which is a lazy attempt, right, to summarize the greatest pearls of wisdom, Mike, that you can leave us with. And I know you take a lot of what you've achieved and done for granted, and we call it resilience, but it's 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 a driver. If you could fit three bits of advice, thinking about those things, those factors that have kept that drive up and kept you looking forward and focused forward, which you sort of said yourself, what would those three sticky notes say? Oh, God. Can I have more than one sticky note? <laughs> yeah. I'll do three, but I, I, I'll shoehorn a couple of things into each one. I don't know whether they be human or be individual. Um, there, there is a strength in your individuality. You know, look at your skills and your life skills as well as you know your academic skills. They, they're applying more and more to this world, 100%. Then... Find the right people to be around you. I'm not saying like model your friends or anything like that, but there is a time to switch on and off, like who you're going to hang out with and stuff like that. You know, I've got my party friends and then I've got my, you know, uh, my sensible friends and, you know, they, they, they come into factor at the right times. And also those people like I've highlighted is, you know, I, I, I've got at least seven stepping stones of people that, I have actually been trying to reach out to recently and thank them and make them realize that they did help me on my career path. Mm. And it's holding those words to yourself. And then, you know, you can say I sound really LA, but um, but the third one is breathe. Um, oh, you sound so LA. To, got, <laughs> you've got to, got to make time for yourself. Yeah, I, I still do it. I, you know, my schedule is a, a little bit of a weird one because obviously I've got a base in the UK. So, I kind of get up at six and I start work at six thirty. But if I don't make a break at eleven, no matter how tough the day is, and I go and I go for a bike ride or just something, that day pretty much will be guaranteed to end up being stressful. Mm. And and I think that applies. You know, there's uh, uh, yeah. I, I won't go into it. It's a bit of a biggie. But if anybody wants to. Google the corporate athlete uh, that was created by Harvard Business. Um, it's a really interesting tool. It's about basically summary of getting a life balance. Um, and I was given that by a coach years ago. And, and again, that really helped me through my hard times. You don't have to think that you've got to double down and kill yourself by working every hour in the day. I reckon I get more productive, ironically, the less hours I do. <laughs> Um, because I focus on my job and I don't focus on doing other people's jobs. That's really important to me. I mean, those are three full-on sticky notes there, mate. And I think <laughs> they provide a really nice, simple insight into perhaps some of the things we take for granted when we're dealing with stuff like this, when we're, when we're facing into challenges, when we're kind of dealing with a bit of adversity, you know, really recognising yourself as an individual or the person you're dealing with. Um, surrounding yourself with good people and looking after yourself. I mean, that's not yeah. shabby advice, is it, really? No, no. <laughs> Listen, mate, it's been 
wonderful reconnecting with you and having a chance to have a chat and listen to the story in a bit more detail than I've heard before. So I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your stories. Oh, with it's us. been good. Nice to have finally reconnected with you, Andy. Ah, smash it, mate. Well, look, thanks for coming on, Mike, and uh, I'll, I will definitely speak to you again soon. So you take care. Nice one. Cheers, mate. See you soon. Cheers. Okay, everyone. That was Mike White. And if you'd like to find a bit more about him or any of the things that we've talked about today, please check out the show notes. So that concludes today's episode. I hope you've enjoyed it, found it interesting, and heard something maybe that will help you become a stickier, more successful business from the inside going forward. If you have, please like, comment, and subscribe. It really helps. I'm Andy Gorham, and you've been listening to the Sticky from the Inside podcast. Until next time, thanks for listening.